This episode is sponsored by Realtor.com, who wants you to take advantage of your free profile on Realtor.com. By claiming and completing your free profile, adding a photo, and all of the information that puts you head and shoulders above the competition, you're on your way to receiving free leads, helping search engines find you, and staying top of mind with past clients. To learn more about claiming your free profile, go to realtor.com forward slash profile. Welcome to the Real View podcast, where Ohio realtors connect you to innovators and influencers, keeping you with the real view of real estate. Whether you're a broker, agent, first time home buyer, industry leader, or just happen to stumble upon our podcast today, you can expect to hear tips, tools, tricks, interesting information, and so much more from the experts in Ohio's real estate game. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Real View Podcast. I am your host, Allison. Joining us today is our special guest, Baven, aka B. Patel. He is principal and co-founder of Green Harvest Capital, a company that provides investors with real estate exposure to compelling opportunities in Northeast Ohio. And he is here today to tell us a little bit about this world of multifamily housing, share some of the work that he does and how we as realtors can partner and really help with the multifamily housing situation that's happening in Ohio. So be welcome onto the show. We are so excited to have you on. Thank you kindly, Allison, for having me. Of course, really, really happy to have you. Um, But before we get started in today's topic, I have to ask our signature question that I ask all of our guests who join me on the show, which is since the show is called The Real View, I would like to know what is the best view that you have ever seen? Wow, that's a terrific question. Um, I would say the best view that I've ever seen would have been it's a toughie. Uh, <laughs> There's so many ways to answer, right? <laughs> I've traveled quite a bit. So um, I would say Hawaii, the sunsets mm. there, probably the best. I have two girls, an eight-year-old and, and a three-year-old, and, and watching them run around the backyard sometimes where, you know, evening, the sun's coming down and they're running around behind all the trees. I think that's special. I love that. Sometimes it's just like the most simple thing that means the most. You know what I mean? Like you mentioned, traveled all over the world, but just seeing your daughters play in the backyard, like that's it. <laughs> that's it. Yep. Very, very cool. Okay. So I want to hear a little bit about you, um, the work that you do, Green Harvest Capital, what it was like founding the company, you know, where the idea came from. Um, give us a little background story and um, history on you and the, and the company and this project that you've worked on. Absolutely. So I, I grew up in Ohio predominantly. Uh, my family moved here from India when I was about nine years old. I grew up in Talmadge and then was fortunate enough to buy my first business as a sophomore in college, which was a 27-unit apartment complex that was ran as an extended stay hotel in Canton, Ohio. I went to undergrad at Akron U and then grad school at Ashland. And that was, you know, 2005 to 2009 timeframe. During the recession, I learned a lot about macro microeconomics and understood um, you know, how Wall Street could affect us here on Main Street. I think those, those were fundamental lessons at an early age. So as, as I went through grad school, I thought a lot about creating businesses and, and, and engaging with other graduate students who had lost 20-year careers. This is like 2010 timeframe, right? Third-generation manufacturers that no longer were in business. So a lot of valuable life lessons, right, about understanding the direction of the economy and how to adjust ourselves here 
in small Ohio to make sure that, you know, things like the tidal waves from Wall Street don't wash us out. So through that process, I spoke with a childhood buddy of mine a lot who was on Wall Street at the time. And we thought a lot about how could we do uh, what he would call asset allocation? How could we diversify our portfolios? And during those years, I had two small hotels and I had about 100 apartment units that I had bought organically over time. And I saw this tremendous opportunity in our market where median household incomes were in the low $50,000 and rents were, you know, for average apartment complexes, workforce housing median, they were right around 700, 800, 900. And, and you would see this dichotomy where 30% of median household incomes should be spent on housing. What we saw at the time was an opportunity where if and when inflation occurred in our economy, we would have rising rents and rising values, right? So we thought that that would happen around 2025 with 40 to 60% of our power generation switching to natural gas. If we remember, we as a country bought the last rail cart of coal in 2015 and coal was bought on a 10-year hedge by the U.S. government. So by 2025, you needed something else, right? And natural gas was that fuel. And it's often said that natural gas will be the bridge fuel between the age of oil and the age of electricity, right? Big ideas. And so, you know, we saw the opportunity. The third person to join Green Harvest was uh, Mike Smith. Mike and I are neighbors, actually. So that's how we met. He's a incredible individual who has a, a civil engineering background, project management certified, an MBA in real estate. And so we have our partner on Wall Street, who's the finance arm, myself, who has a lot of touch feel. I've done it. I've bought the assets. I've, I've put the businesses together before. And then Mike, who's very structured. So that's kind of the team. Since 2017, when we started, we own and operate about 1,200 apartments in this market all in this workforce housing lane, which is uh, 1930 to 1970, 1980 construction. We always look at the median household incomes to give us guidance. So in the state of Ohio, now post-pandemic, median incomes are right around $60,000. 30% of that is spent on housing at about $1,500. Our objective is to have apartments between $900 and $1,200 a month, which are extremely affordable for the average Ohioan. Yeah, that's what I was going to say that that's such an incredible, you know, affordable amount, as you mentioned. Talk a little bit about the balance of that and how you make that price, you know, so affordable to the people, you know, what that process looks like, why it's so important. We all know that affordable housing, multifamily housing, you know, is, is a huge need in Ohio. But why do you think it's so important to you, to the state, to our economy? And then how do we kind of manage and make it happen so that we're able to offer those affordable prices? So kind of a two parter question there. <laughs> Our thesis was always based on understanding how do we compress operating expenses? Because rent appreciation wasn't really a reality in our market for decades, right? If you look at a 50-year period of Ohio, going back to the 70s, you'll see a, a decline in population. You'll see a decline in income, you'll see, or stagnation in income, right, at least. And then you'll see a decline in values in many cases, right? You know, I live in a community that was built in the 80s. The pricing that was built for in the 80s is kind of where we are even today. So that doesn't exist in other markets. Our thesis was very much uh, technology driven. We were big believers in IoT devices. So what we start with is a property management system that's digital. We have a vertical integration in that side where all of our tenants can view their invoices on their mobile devices, 
majority, if not all of our payments are ACH now, so they're electronic, eliminating all that administrative of managing checks, collecting money orders, collecting cash, going to the bank. One step further is we understand how to measure and monitor all the utilities. So flow sensors on water lines, temperature sensors in certain buildings to comprehend like, okay, are we using too much gas here? Do we have a water leak in this building? And so by doing all of those things, a typical older property is operating at about a 70% operating expense margin, which is quite high. For reference, a new construction is about 25 so our objective over a two, five, seven year period of holding the asset is to compress those operating expenses down to 40 to 50%. And we do that in utilizing technology, using a great property management system, and then also something simple as LED lighting, right? If you replace all your light bulbs, all of your lighting on your property, including the tenants with LED, there's usually a 70 to 80% delta in consumption cost, water-saving toilets. So those are like big drivers of cost compression for us. When we do an acquisition, we will look at, you know, the five major things that we always think about. It's roof, foundation, electrical, HVAC, and plumbing. And then we give it a grade, right? So we'll give it an A, B, C, D, just like the third grade. And, and by doing that, if we have three out of the five major utilities fail, we will not do that transaction, right? You know, because the cost of, of bringing those things back are counterintuitive. So by doing it, we're investing in major mechanicals day one. And then we do all these cosmetic upgrades. We, we, you know, we focus on safety security. So we'll do ADTs, our partner on that security side. We'll do cameras throughout all of our apartment buildings. All of our property managers, regionals, and our management company heads have one application where they can view all of our properties. Everything's in the cloud. We'll do a lighting package on the exterior where we'll light up the property, right? Safety, security, it's, it's kind of a unique thing, but you know these are the small incremental steps that we can take. Why is it important? Well, it's important because when we look at what is required for the average person to buy a home, there are two fundamental criterias. One is income, okay? Which uh, again, you know, we lag the nation by at least $10,000 per household. The national average is 70. Us here in Ohio, we're 60. We have a disadvantage there. When we look at credit scores, which is the other big matrix, the average credit score in the United States is 680. I don't know the exact statistic for Ohio, but I would venture to say it's somewhere near there. What's required is 723. Home ownership as an idea is great. A new constructed home right now would be anywhere from three to $400,000. An average median income of, of that should be somewhere between 115 to about 125 per household. Majority of the households in Ohio are just not there. So where will people live, right? It can't be all subsidized. I think it's not sustainable to subsidize all housing for all Americans. So what we're doing is looking at these older properties, finding creative ways to bring them and rejuvenate them and, and, and build in safety, security, build in livability at the same time as being conscientious to say, well, this still meets the thesis for the average Ohioan. And it is. It's just so important. You know, when we think about the grand scheme of things, I know just thinking about the project in Intel, I know it's going to be happening in central Ohio, but that's something that comes up a lot is where are we going to put all these people, you know, in a place that it's affordable for them to live? So these are active challenges that we're kind of seeing play out in real time, in real life. And one of the things that I love about your company and the work that you guys do is that you invest here in Ohio and you make just a strong push for why Ohio is such a great place to do this, especially Northeast Ohio. And I know I am a fellow Northeast Ohioan. I am from Barberton. I went to high school there. So we grew up very close to each other. But what in your eyes makes Ohio, especially, you know, Northeast Ohio, where where um, you all are working primarily, what makes that such a great place for this multifamily housing and those opportunities that exist there? 
comprehension of microeconomic conditions. Like I alluded to before, you know, my early part of my business career, I learned a lot. Asking my dad for $20 to making six figures in a very short amount of time. From that, going through a recession and going, wow, I didn't even see that coming. I didn't even comprehend what CMBS was, like commercial back mortgage security. Like, what is going on here? At the time, I realized that, okay, in order for us to be successful long-term, we have to understand macro trends. And one of the macro trends that we kind of started to read tea leaves on was this resurgence of manufacturing driven at a high level by the resurgence of energy production, right? If you went to the middle of 2012, 2013, 2014, there was a fracking boom. And then trying to comprehend how the United States was going to go from being the fifth largest to the largest oil producing nation in the world. We still are. And when you did fracking, what were all the natural gas liquids? What is dry gas? What, what, what are all these things that are coming out of the ground? And why are they so vital to our economy, right? We all want to be green and environmentally friendly. Like we believe in a cyclical economy, except how do you get to that? Understanding that gave us this idea, this notion of, okay, you've got a 10 to 25 year runway here where there's a global pivot from consumption to production with commodities and energy. Secondarily, that's going to drive a lot of downstream production, right? When you when you frack, you get something in Ohio, especially in the Utica Shell pit, called natural gas, natural uh, gas liquids. Okay, wet gas is like another industry term, and that's primarily comprised of ethane, methane, butane, propane, hexane, and ethane special because ethane you can take to a refinery or a cracker plant. And you can crack it, quote unquote. And by doing so, you, you produce polyethylene. And if you look at plastics in the world, if you look at the foundation of all plastics is either polyethylene or polypropylene. The largest cracker plant in the world, which is now producing, is in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. I don't know how many of us know that. Royal Dutch Shell owns it. And Royal Dutch Shell has actually moved all of their global R&D to Pittsburgh now. And I know being from Cleveland, I can't talk too much about Pittsburgh, but <laughs> you know the second largest one is being built in Belmont County, Ohio now. And a company called PTTGC is vying for that. And we can see that coming to fruition in the next two to three years. Why does that matter? Well, when you look at industries like Intel, when they choose Ohio, which is the largest investment in our state, when you look at Honda choosing to put billions of dollars in EV infrastructure into Ohio, when you look at General Motors, doing the Altium battery cell investment into Lordstown, Ohio. When you look at Foxconn doing their investment into Lordstown, Ohio, they're looking for the raw material. They're looking for supply chains. They are already predicting what those things are going to look like. Because when you invest a hundred billion, that's a hundred year investment. You're not doing that on the short term. So, you know, here's a statistic. 44% of all Intel suppliers are in Northeast Ohio right now. Okay, let's let's talk about why why that's beneficial for workforce housing. So for us, understanding that macro trend, boiling it down to a micro opportunity, saying, okay, what's the opportunity of today? And then taking a very thoughtful approach to it is what led us to starting here in Ohio, being so committed. And we're just not Northeast Ohio focused, right? We eventually hope to be in Columbus and Cincinnati and Dayton and other parts of, of this great state. But we always say we don't do business where we can't comprehend microeconomic conditions. We have to understand how the city thinks. We have to understand how you know legislators think at the county level. We have to understand how transportation and infrastructure is being built around our communities. 
you know, the two key indicators for us are our hospital system investments between university and clinic and Akron Children's. Second, our Amazon distribution centers. Almost all of our apartment buildings are within five miles of a distribution center and about five miles of a major hospital system. We really think about what is the average wage of a person working at Amazon? What is the average wage of a person working in our hospital systems? That's the need that we're trying to fill because those individuals are two, five, 10 years away from qualifying to actually be able to own a house. And those are the people that need somewhere to go right now, as you mentioned. They're not at that point in their lives yet to where they can buy and live in a home. And this sounds like perfect for what so many of these new companies that you just mentioned are going to be looking for, especially when it comes to attracting and retaining employees there. This episode of The Real View is brought to you by the Ohio Association of Community Colleges. Ohio's network of community colleges provides accessible training that accommodates the busy lifestyles of aspiring real estate professionals at half the price of a traditional university. With convenient locations in every part of the state, as well as online options, Ohio's community colleges are your smart choice for pre-licensing education. For more details or to start the journey to a real estate career, visit the education page at ohiorealtors.org and then click on the pre-licensed course locations. What's your advice to realtors, to any consumers listening who maybe want to get started in this, but don't really know where to begin? It sounds like, you know, you, you all have come up with such a great formula that has brought you so much success. But what would you say to somebody starting out who, who's interested in this and maybe wants to start getting involved? Some of the early things that we did was we got involved with our chamber. We, we try to understand wherever you are, what's your local chamber. I'm, I'm very involved with the Akron Chamber, and I find tremendous value in that because, you know, you interact with business leaders, you interact with government officials, you interact with large company owners, and you comprehend, you know, what the challenges are of today that the city's facing, what that area is facing. And there are a lot of smart people that work there. And I think, you know, understanding how to talk to them, express your ideas, your vision, and, and see how you can connect with others. I think that's important. On the multifamily side, the Northern Ohio Apartment Association here in Northeast Ohio, it goes all the way from Lake Erie down to Columbus. There's a Cincinnati Association. There is a Dayton Association. There is a Ohio Apartment Association, Columbus Association. So getting involved there. A lot of the owners in our space, in real estate in general, that do it at scale are, are baby boomers. And, and that's just because they've been in it for a long time. And, and we've seen a market that hasn't really enticed out-of-state private equity firms, owners, and, and things like that. So don't get me wrong. Those people are coming. They're coming in the next two to five years. But right now, the opportunity of today is to understand you know, who, who owns real estate in your town, right? And then understanding what their positioning is. A lot of the times we find their children don't want it. They've gone on to do bigger, better things. And the older properties take a lot of work and time and energy, but it's worth it because these properties will appreciate in value. Inflation is, I, I think it's here to stay. Yeah, that was going to be my my other question. You know, what impact has inflation had on rent prices? I mean, I know just the impact that it's had in our in our market, you know, buying and selling homes with mortgage rates and things like that. How has inflation kind of impacted the work that you do with rent prices? And what has that been like from your perspective? Service sector inflation is real. So we see the cost of a plumber, cost of an electrician, cost of a carpenter, all of these things rise in real time. What we do to combat that is, is embrace technology every day more and more and more. So we can streamline processes. We can 
We run something called smart maintenance, which these are great things to talk about. They're very painful to implement. I just want to have full disclosure. <laughs> but as you do implement them, you see the value of it over your entire supply chain. So smart maintenance is a tenant has a leaking toilet. They can go on their phone. They can put in a work order through the app. It goes to a call center with our property management company. They are property management system. Our PMS will take it and then they have a call center and they'll designate like, okay, is this going to Jamie, our plumber? Is this going to one of our property managers? Is this going to a third party because it's a major leak? They'll decide that and they'll send it to them. So then that person gets a alert on their phone through our, our management system. And then that person in the morning knows what to do. Or if it's a major leak, they call the tenant, they have a conversation. The tenant is able to video with them, take a picture of it, send it. So then they can talk about, okay, go to the kitchen, turn off the valve. Here's how you do it. And that can save you hundreds of thousands. The tenant feels like they were instantly engaged, right? Just one of the examples of what we're trying to do in order to streamline our processes. From a, a bookkeeping accounting standpoint, we're integrating with an accounting firm called Pease to do all of our accounts payables, receivables, where in the past we would have an in-house controller. We would have three to five people doing administrative all day, looking at checks and making sure they got deposits and somebody's allocating. Well, all of that's ACH. So it's foolproof, right? Where the money goes from their individual's account, it goes to our account and it's straightforward. So that eliminates a lot of administrative. On the rent side, just like anything else, we're seeing inflation, but it's moderate. The good news is we're also seeing wage inflation in the service sector, right? You know, we've seen about 12% nationally year over year. We see Ohioans uh, seeing about a 4% wage appreciation in 23 and 24. So incomes are rising. And I think that's a positive. Values are also rising for real estate. Real estate's great inflation hedge. So if your cost basis was lower, it's helping you kind of go through that arc, monetize a little bit better. So those are all positive. It just sounds like, you know, there's just smarter, you know, more innovative ways to do things that can end up with big cost savings that can kind of help with the issue of inflation and, and things costing more these days. So just great ideas and great ways to kind of, you know, help curb that. And you mentioned something about the landlord tenants and working together and how that works. Um, what does a good relationship look like between landlords and tenants? And what components can do you see that exist in a strong relationship between those two? Communication is key, right? Both ways. As a landlord, it's it's your responsibility. You know, people live there to communicate with them as often as you can about major changes. You know, if there was a delay, you know, with snow plowing, you should be communicating that. We do that by text messages. We do that by email within our organization. And, and by no means are we perfect. But, you know, we, we try to be consistent in that. If there's a problem, we're quick to act. We try to resolve it as quickly as we can. We always think about, you know, I, I personally do. I, I have two girls and I always think about like, okay, if my family was living there, how should it be? It, it can't be there day one if we buy something that somebody's owned for 50 years. Our objective is to hold on to these properties long term, to be good stewards of them and to incrementally add value to them, right? And then from the tenant side, I think it's the same thing, right? If there's a major life crisis, if something is happening, communicating that I think is important. If there's something wrong with the unit, I think communicating that effectively is important. So I think I would say the number one thing that both sides can do is communicate. Yeah. And I love the example that you gave earlier when you said, you know, that way they're you're acknowledging them right away and they're feeling heard. And I think a lot of the times, you know, that's just what it comes down to is just making sure that those lines of communication are open and that you're being heard from both sides of things. And that kind of can clear up, you know, a lot, I think, just from simply listening and, and having that open dialogue. 
I kind of want to end on what the future of multifamily housing looks like and, and anything that kind of you are seeing or, or that you guys are working on that's going to come up into the future. And, you know, as we mentioned, with so many companies investing here and, and the need for workforce housing just exploding, what does the future look like? What can you project that we're going to see um, in the future when it comes to this? Yeah, I mean, I wish I had a crystal ball. Uh, <laughs> you know, uh, best guess would be we'll see continued demand for workforce housing at market rent, not subsidized. We need to, as interest rates move up, I think state officials really need to look at what are the ways that we can encourage entrepreneurs to come into this space and to improve the aged stock that we have. Majority of our housing was built before 1980. So things are at least 35 years old. Incredible statistics like, you know, we're the seventh largest by population in the country. We're 40th in new home starts. And again, it goes back to that income equation where most people can't afford brand new houses or won't be able to at least for two, five, 10, 15 years. And so if you encourage entrepreneurs to come in to buy the older assets, to improve them, you're going to create a stepping stone for new construction. And then that's a two, five, 10 year horizon. It's a good time to do it because the technology is there, the connectivity is there. You know, our government has taken some incredible initiatives in order for us to build out broadband across all of Ohio. And I know some great innovative companies that are building out broadband in very rural areas right now. 5G is incredible. So we'll be able to connect our buildings using IoT devices, Internet of Things devices. And by doing that, we can get operational scale. We can get operational efficiency. So I think the opportunities there, I think entrepreneurs, business leaders, cities, state, counties can all work together to solve this challenge. And look, us as Ohioans, we're up for it. This isn't the first time that, you know, opportunities have come up like this. I think we can do it. And we have great leadership at the state level that's very energized and motivated. Look at what they did with Intel. Look at what they're doing with Honda. Look at what they're doing with Ford Motor Company, with General Motors. Those are once in a lifetime investments. And I think we can solve it together. Yeah, no, it sounds like there's just so much great things happening. And just I feel like we're on, you know, the beginning of what's going to be a huge boom. And this is just going to really take off. I think, as you mentioned, in the next two, five, 10 years, this is going to look totally different. And I'm excited. Is there any way specifically that you can see realtors getting involved and helping, you know, with with multifamily housing? Baby boomers that are looking to retire, you know, understanding, helping them evaluate the value of their asset. A lot of them, you know, again, just don't do data analytics in that way. There's some great reports that realtors have, CoStar being one of them, that they can analyze and be proactive, reach out, bring more product to market. I think that's the key. A lot of people don't know they want to sell and because they don't know what their value is. And I think if realtors can be active and engage, companies like ours are, are very much looking for more acquisition opportunities. Yeah, so many opportunities. And as you mentioned, kind of we're in a great place. And if we all work together and do this together, um, you know, we can really help solve this challenge and this need, you know, that's existing out there, especially as our state takes these major steps forward. So B, this was so fantastic. Thank you so much for joining me today and for sharing your work and your insights in the world of multifamily housing. I'm really great to, to have heard from you and um, congratulations on all your success. Thank you kindly, Austin. Uh, look forward to staying in touch and appreciate you having me. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. We will talk to you next week. Thank you for listening to The Real View. That wraps up today's episode. You can keep up with the latest on the podcast at ohiorealtors.org slash The Real View and on Apple or Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. Have questions, comments, or suggestions? We want to hear from you. 
email us at podcast at ohiorealtors.org. We'll see you next time.